Hey there, Matt here. Before we get started, just want to let you know that we will be sprinkling some book knowledge into our podcast. Don't worry, they will not spoil any aspect of the story. They're just more supplementary. However, if you're a person who absolutely hates book reader knowledge in your TV talk, then this podcast probably isn't for you. Also, we're sorry. Anyway, here's the podcast. Hope you enjoy. Dedicated to George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire book series. Well, I just want to say this first off. I'm very impressed that you did all of that calculating in just 10 minutes. Second, I'm kind of angry that you only put 10 minutes worth of effort into that list. <laughs> and the HBO Game of Thrones franchises. <laughs> well, only Matt, you can be impressed and insulted at the same time. You're listening to Before the Dragon. Don't tell me what to do. Do, do, do. Not do, even do, sure do. if we've already done these. That's how my memory's going these days. However, if we haven't, and because this is the season finale, I figured we better do the October Happy Name Days. Happy Name Days. <laughs> Lena Headey, who played Cersei Lannister in Game of Thrones, was born on October 3rd. Charles Dance, who played Tywin Lannister in Game of Thrones, was born on October 10th. Nell Tiger Free, who played Marcella Lannister, was born October 13th. Well, I guess technically she was a Baratheon. Uh, but yeah, October 13th to Nell Tiger Free. Amelia Clark, on the day that the House of the Dragon finale, season one finale, airs, gets her birthday October 23rd. Happy birthday, Khaleesi. And Matt Smith, who plays Damon Targaryen in our current show, born on October 28th, as was Gwendolyn Christie, our beloved Brienne, born October 28th. Happy name days to all. Happy name days. With that out of the way, welcome to House of the Dragon. My name is Matt. Thanks for joining me for this initial reaction to Season 1, Episode 10, the season finale entitled The Black Queen, written by showrunner Ryan Condal, directed by returning director Greg Yatanis, who did a wonderful job with this episode. <sighs> Ratings. Wow. It's, this one's hard to rate simply because... Uh, it's still a lot for me to take in. Uh, so much emotion in this episode, as there was kind of with last week's. And I do like the parallel of seeing the green side of things in the wake of Viserys' death, as opposed to, you know, the black side of things like we have today in the wake of Viserys' death. I think... One thing that you can consider if you're going to compare both of them is that Rhaenyra suffers an incredible amount of loss in this episode, whereas Alicent uh, finds a way to earn enough of Rainey's respect, I suppose, in order to survive without much in the way of loss. I still think she did feel personal loss. I appreciate the fact that 
from both sides of both episodes, Alicent is trying to do her best to keep the realm together and keep them from plunging into war and to keep Rhaenyra alive. And in the same respect, Rhaenyra is showing a whole lot of restraint, despite the fact that her husband is plunging them towards war when she tries to keep her father's vision alive of keeping the realm united so that they can, you know, fight the White Walker somewhere down in the future, which of course doesn't happen for a couple of hundred years, but Rhaenyra doesn't know that at the time. It could be any day now. Uh, just as Viserys thought that it could be any day now. All this is just stalling for me to try and get around to my rating. Uh, I think it's finally coming into focus. 9.3 is what I'm going to give this. Still probably not my favorite episode of the season. I think the most powerful episode of the season was probably episode 8. But it's still a very powerful episode. And I think the big headline here is Rhaenyra has suffered a heck of a lot of loss in this episode. And I think season two will be important to see how she responds to all of that loss. How does it change her? Does it change her? Um, So it was a great way to end the season as far as I'm concerned. That's the kind of the emotional cliffhanger so to speak, for the season. I really, really loved that approach. But it's still not my favorite episode of the season. So 9.5, or pardon me, 9.3. I believe my highest was a 9.5. Maybe I gave one a little higher. I don't remember now. But definitely not the most powerful, but almost as powerful as episode 8. Let's talk about that headline with Rhaenyra. Obviously, this episode is completely focused on her and on Dragonstone uh, with the exception of the appearance of Otto and Allison's message, so to speak. And I love how that did kind of strike her in a way for a moment, but think about everything that Rhaenyra goes through in this very short time span. Remember, she just now gets the message of her father dying. So she's lost her father. Both of her parents are gone. Then she has the premature labor and loses her baby, which would have been her sixth. That's awful. And the way that they focused on that, uh, because here it is, she's learned that her crown has been usurped, that her father is dead, and now she loses this baby as well. The time that they took to show her with that happening to her and to, I guess, show how she's not wanting to let go of that. Because in that space, I feel like that Rhaenyra is still able to not look at all of the other things that's happening as a result of her father's death but she's still hanging on to that family moment. And of course, she's just lost a baby. She's horrified by that. So the way that they had her hold it for such a long time and then personally wrap it for the cremation uh, was very, very 
powerful. And yet she is in her father's memory. And because she knows because of this prophecy, it's so important. She's getting pushed and pulled much the same way that Allison was getting pushed and pulled. She's getting pushed and pulled to go to war. It's time to end this. It's time to end the usurpers. People were even like Damon was like talking to Rainey's saying, you had an opportunity to end this. I'll get more on Rainey's in a minute. But um, anyway, everybody's pushing for war. Damon is obviously the kind of person who is very good at this kind of preparation for things, even though, you know, he didn't do a whole lot of good in the Stepstones the first time around until he finally just lured the prince out. But nonetheless, she's got all of this going on. And then she also has to face the fact that her sons, her sons with Harwin Strong are now men that they have grown up to the place where they have to play a role in this. And this is where everything that was kind of internal, anything about what would I do? What will I do once I take the throne or everything? Uh, I still have my family. I still have all of this. Now it suddenly becomes external. It's and out of her control. And I think when the news comes about Lucerus at the end of the episode, you see how that loss of control has shaken her to the bone, truly shaken her to the bone. Uh, I just want to compliment Emma Darcy. They did a wonderful job uh, with the acting in, in this particular episode from so many different levels of grief and even the the relief of when she and Damon are cre cremating their stillborn unborn child that when Eric comes and presents the crown well she's having to face the whole reality of her father being dead and she's having to face the reality of the responsibility that Allison has now usurped her with her own son. All of that stuff comes flooding back in. But there is just this one moment of hope for her, almost in the way that everybody bends the knee. Well, almost everybody. Again, I said I'd talk about Rainey's in a minute. But Emma Darcy, they did just such a wonderful job this season picking up from where Millie Alcock had done this wonderful job herself and then bringing the reality of the events of this episode to a place where it's like, I would be crazy right now if all of these things happened to me. The look on her face is one of such pain, such torment, such loss of control and I don't mean like anger I just mean that you know she just feels her entire world slipping away from her it's the one thing she sent Lucerus on what she thought was the safest mission and he's the one who doesn't come back it's just it's got to be a mother's nightmare right it's just awful and I was really emotional about all of it I had to take a few minutes 
uh, before I could even begin to record uh, the second part, I recorded the happy name day stuff like two hours before the episode started, which was easy to do. But now I'm here recording this and I'm still trying to process some of it uh, because, oh, how awful. I mean, nobody likes to see kids die, but in this way, it's just awful. And that's the, uh, the second thing that I really want to get to is this mission. That's like the big headline here, here is that doesn't look like Luceris nor Amond really wanted it to come to this. It was kind of like the dragons just decided they wanted to fight, or at least that's the way that I read it. When, uh, Erex comes down out of the sky and showers the, the fire on Vagar, then it seems to me that Luke Saris is actually telling him, no, no, you need to obey me. And so it seems like Arax is doing what it wants to do on its own. And then, of course, Vagar isn't going to listen to Aemond anymore. Vagar has been around the block a few times and goes and takes care of this business. Now, uh, ultimately, you have to say this is the fault of Amond. Whether he made the command for Vagar to do that or not, it doesn't matter. If he wouldn't have started off by stalking Lucerus as he was trying to leave, then probably none of this happens, right? Well, like, absolutely none of this happens if Amond doesn't start by chasing him in the first place. I understand Amond's need to remind people of what happened to him. But at the same time, it's hypocritical in the fact that he dismissed it as a good trade-off when it first happened. But he still carried that grudge around, which I suppose someone would. But to so publicly display it in front of Boros Baratheon, who can't even read, evidently, which was a wonderful <laughs> a little nugget for them to put in. I love that. It just makes it even more. And he's more caring about, you know, what's in it for him. Uh, as I would imagine most lords would be. But the fact that Aemon does this and continues this pursuit of Lucerus uh, is what obviously causes the war. Directly, is he responsible? Uh, indirectly, definitely. Directly, it seems to me like the dragons were. And, and it seems to me that Lucerus didn't have any more control over Erex than Aemon did over Vagar either because it just it just feels like the dragons like Erex was just like I'm tired of running from you just I'm gonna just put a little flame in your eye and hope that you go away well that's not gonna work with Vagar and Vagar just snapped him in half uh the visuals for the dragon stuff for the dragons flying and everything was okay was not bad I wasn't blown away by it there are some things that I thought looked a little wanky, especially with Lucerus landing at Storm's End at the first part of that whole sequence. Um, that was the part that I felt looked a little more wanky. Some of the stuff with them chasing each other and Vagar in the background. I mean, I can't really judge. When the, the One thing that I will say is uh, I'm not really taking any points off for CGI or anything, but it was easier to do some of the flight chase in the storm, even though the storm probably 
causes its own kind of CGI matting and all of that problems. But uh, everything looked better when it was darker. Um, when they got up into the sunlight, everything still seemed pretty consistent with the way that it did in the storm. So I was very pleased by that. But Luceris, poor guy, you know, and no, he shouldn't have in the first place did what he did with the dagger to Eamon's eye, you know? So how are you going to look at this? You're going to look at this. Well, really Lucera started it years before. Are you going to look at it like Eamon started this by chasing after him? Or are you going to look at it like, well, neither of them had any business doing there. And the dragons decided that they were going to do what they wanted to do on their own. Um, which is kind of the way that I'm looking at it, except I will say that, you know, if Eamon had not decided to pursue Luceris and torment him a little bit, it's that last little vestige of him still carrying that kind of childish kind of notion about him and uh, obviously still carrying a grudge, even though he says that he shouldn't. Um, so that makes his implication in it uh, obviously more upfront than anything that Lucerus did, um, although Lucerus shouldn't have did what he did with the dagger back when, but he was scared and he w didn't. Know, I don't think that. I think that was more an accident. It wasn't intentional to take his eye out. But I, I just loved all of this, and I love the way that this show is taking into account that, you know, no matter what whether Targaryens are closer to gods or not. Once you bring, and it was even a th kind of thematic throughout the episode. Once you bring dragons into the mix, it's a whole different story than if it's just people fighting or people being political or whatever. This is where this show is going to excel over Game of Thrones because we can still have and have had throughout this first season, some political intrigue, but at the same time, we are going to get the full all out, you know, dragon stuff. And I think that we're going to see how little power, just as Viserys said at the beginning of the season, it's almost as if it was reminding of us of this scene that was going to happen or foreshadowing for us of this scene that was going to happen to Luceris and Aemon and Vagar and Erex that, you know, we don't really control these dragons. And that was a perfect exemplification. Uh, this first dragon battle right here. So loved all of that. Do want to talk about Rainies, Obviously. I thought that the whole scene with Arik bringing the crown and everybody bowing was great, but I did notice that Rainies did not bow. She was the only one in that whole group that continued to stand. And I loved how her allegiances were to herself and to Driftmark and to Lord Corliss up until the point that Rhaenyra earned her respect. Um, remember, earlier in this season, Rainey's thought that Rhaenyra was foolish to think of herself as the heir to the throne. She thought that Rhaenyra didn't understand the lessons that she had learned in the Council of 101. 
and I quite think, quite frankly, resented her for it. On top of that, she still believes that Rhaenyra is responsible for her son's death and that Rhaenyra's husband is responsible for Lena's death in a way through that whole birth and everything. So she has no reason to love the blacks at all. Yet as Rhaenyra continues to say, wait a minute, we don't want war. We don't want war yet. Being much like her own father, as Rainey sees this, the respect builds and builds and builds to the point to where when Corliss is brought to Dragonstone and she just gets to, I guess, chide him, dress him down for all the crap that he's been pulling for the last few years, running off to the Stepstones. And I love that Corlys admitted all of this. The Valarians are a great family, and Rhaenys is a great princess, and uh, Corlys is a great leader. And I understand that he has no love lost for any of this as well. But he did just run off, and I love that Rainey's calls him out for that. But when he's like, he wants nothing to do with Rhaenyra for obvious reasons, they think that she had his son killed. Uh, it's just one of those things that she's, once again, I love Rainey's for doing this. She just says, you don't understand. You don't understand what I've been seeing. You don't understand how I have seen this woman resist everybody saying go to war now go to war now go down there to the king's landing and fry him and be done with it no Rhaenyra has this prophecy to live up to this thing that not even Damon knew about evidently as we find out as he tries to strangle her later on in the episode which was very scary in its own way but nonetheless uh Rainey's is seeing all of this through Rhaenyra's eyes and seeing her struggling to hold off all of these calls to war. We saw Alicent, you know, wrestle with her own father over finding Aegon so that there could be some kind of peaceful amends with Rhaenyra. Here we're seeing Rhaenyra not really worried, feeling obviously betrayed by Alicent and not really worrying about how Allison feels about it, despite Otto bringing the page uh, from the book that Rhaenyra ripped out in episode one. Despite any of that, she's thinking about the realm as whole. She's saying, for a prophecy, again, that won't happen for a couple of hundred years, but she's thinking, we have to keep this realm together because there's a greater enemy out there than we could ever be between ourselves. The question becomes, after Rainey's even volunteer sees all of this and respects it, and then volunteers once they do come up with a plan of action regarding, you know, bottling up any of the shipping coming into King's Landing and what have you, that she will take Malleus and, and go to govern, so to speak, the gullet that Corlys has created and fortified herself with a dragon, with, you know, she'll take her dragon and, and they'll call it, the, they'll be an additional effort for the blockade but then she does that and we have Rhaenyra who is 
finally having to embrace the fact that these people are hanging on her every word and everything. And then she's brought the news of her son and understandably, of course, falls apart. But that look in Rhaenyra's eyes at the end of the episode was to me just things kind of unraveling. Now, I'm not saying it's unraveling in a bad way, but just think about your whole world falling apart. She lost the baby's, she lost her boy's husband. Now she's lost the boy. She still has Jace, who's out there flirting at the Erie and at Winterfell and whatever. Um, evidently, uh, Craig and Scar- Stark is how you say the Lord of Winterfell's name. Obviously, if she says that he's young, like Jace, um, then it's not the same Lord of Winterfell that we saw pledging at the beginning of the season. So very interesting there. There was also just such great music. But before I want to get to that, I do want to talk to you about Damon. I mean, he's doing all of this Council of War stuff. Uh, some of it while Rhaenyra is in labor and his trying to distance himself from that kind of pain is something I feel we should note. Um, it definitely feels like part of him, uh, is recognizing that this has to be done, which I think we can respect. But I think also a criticism you can have for Damon is his inability to recognize that, Rhaenyra needs him right now and he won't do anything about it. Uh, you know, now he does come to a great moment where he takes the crown from Sir Eric and places it on Rhaenyra's head and is the first to bow and all of that. Um, it's the one moment of hope that I feel like Rhaenyra has in the whole episode. And I loved Eric. Uh, bringing that crown, that particular crown, to Rhaenyra uh, and and that whole scene. It was very well orchestrated by Ramin as well. Lots of great music in this episode. It's going to be hard for me to narrow it down. We will have our whole panel uh, back this week, by the way. So uh, I'll try and shorten the music. I think I had 25 minutes last week. I'll try and shorten that down a little bit this week. Uh, but, yeah, it was just amazing all of this stuff and uh, go back to Damon here as I just used amazing, all this stuff to, to try and stall here. But then the whole bit with the dragons. Now we had a dragon count, so to speak, uh, which I'm sure that my panelists will take a lot more, pay a lot more attention to than I did because I, I'm not as into dragons as the, uh, as the rest of the panel. Uh, it's just one of those things. It's like, yeah, they're there. Yeah, we can, we've now seen uh, how awful uh, having dragons can be. I'm more like the Viserys. They just smell and they can do nothing for the realm and they won't listen to us. That's the way I feel about dragons. Uh, but I'm sure that that sounds like blasphemy to many of my listeners who are all about the dragons and the dragon counts. I'll leave that to the panel to discuss in our podcast later this week. Uh, and we will discuss it. Don't don't get me wrong. We will discuss it. But I did find fascinating the whole culture of him trying to, I don't know, tame a strange dragon. It is I don't know which dragon this was, 
that he was singing to. But I loved that whole interaction. I thought that that was beautiful. And of course, Damon is doing all of this because he's thinking we're going to need more dragons. We're, you know, he's still thinking about it from a war prospect. But is this uh, a wild dragon, so to speak, on Dragonstone? Were some of those mentioned earlier in the season? I don't know. Uh, have some of them been mentioned in the books? Uh, possibly. I won't say one way or the other. I, I try to make these initial reactions as book friendly as or as book free, TV only friendly as possible. Uh, so I have no idea. Uh, what the name of this particular dragon was or why it had to be approached like this. But the only thing I can think of is that if Damon is having to do all of this stuff um, to, to begin to gain this dragon's trust, maybe, then perhaps it's because this dragon has never had a rider before, uh, at very least, whether it is you know, uh, a kind of a wild dragon or whether it's just a dragon that nobody has claimed yet. Not sure, but that was wonderful. There were also like th three dragons taking off from Dragonstone at one point. Was one of them supposed to be Rainies on Melis? I don't know. Uh, I know that Jace and Luke had their missions, but I didn't think anybody else had a dragon mission other than Rainies. So I'm assuming that that was Rainies taking off on Melis. Um, all of this stuff was just wonderful as i again stall uh lots of music stuff in it just wonderful stuff uh that really amped up the emotion of it i mean i'm not gonna sit here and say that i was totally unemotional about this episode i was very emotional during the course of this episode but i wasn't nearly as emotional as i was uh in episode eight and uh Part of it is the fact that Ramin's score did its job here, uh, but it just wasn't, to me, some of it wasn't as big of a moment. That very last scene was a huge moment, and the score really did stuff for me. And just thinking about poor Rhaenyra trying to, you know, get her brain around the fact that she had sent her son to his death um, and what kind of psychological damage knowledge like that could do the trauma that that can do to her uh it was just an amazing portrayal again by emma darcy and amazing music by ramin didn't even know that matt smith was capable of singing i'm assuming that that wasn't adr'd by somebody else although it could have been uh but he was a decent singer he held pitch uh so i'm i'm all good with that um we didn't get to know Eric's hardly at all, uh, so we'll pour one out for the dragon. We didn't really even get to know Lucerus very much at all, but you just kind of knew when they were focusing on him at the beginning of the episode um, and showing that wonderful, loving relationship between mother and son at the beginning of the episode. I'm sure that was all just to set up what happens at the end um, you just kind of, in retrospect, it's easy to see that they were, they were setting it up, but you still kind of got this weird feeling. It's like, well, why are we starting on Luke? Right. Uh, so that's, uh, really, a good, I guess, symbolic storytelling in its own way. Not sure that I have a whole lot more to say. You probably 
will want to send in your thoughts to us. This is the last week to get your thoughts in. Be sure to get them in by Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific. That's your deadline uh, for anything to be included in this week. If you get it in later than that, we're going to have a few off-season podcasts. I'll be sure to hold on to your feedback uh, for those times. We have some feedback that we'll be catching up from last week in this week's panel podcast as well. Uh, one thing that we do like for you to submit is your three words and your brothel mates. Uh, now, three words is a three-word description of the episode. Brothel mates is just the best coupling, whatever couples best with uh, the whole episode. It doesn't have to be two people. I'll give you mine uh, for this week as examples, and then you can get yours into me again by Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific time, uh, and we'll include it in the podcast later this week. My three words this time around, dragons acting irresponsibly. It was the dragons that did it, right? It wasn't the, it wasn't Luceris or Aemon. And once again, I will say Aemon is more at fault simply because he uh, started the chase. He didn't have to do that. If he had just stayed on the ground, let Luceris go back home with his tail between the legs, which he already was doing, then it would have been a lot. Uh, well, none of this would have happened. So it is still basically Eamon's fault, but he can't take responsibility for making the command because he was trying to tell Vagar, no, no, don't do this, no, even as Vagar was biting Eryx in half. Ugh, horrible. And once again, Vagar wouldn't have done what Vagar did if it hadn't been for the fact that Eryx evidently uh, said enough of this because you could hear Lucera saying, no, Lucera. No, Arax, no, obey me. Uh, you can hear all of that going on as Arax is uh, shooting a flame at Vagar. So, dragons acting responsibly, irresponsibly is my three words. Maybe I'll even learn how to say those three words at some point. Uh, my brothel mates, the best coupling, doesn't have to be two people, and mine are not. Uh, it's Rhaenyra and Loss. Think of all of the Loss that Rhaenyra goes through in this episode. She loses her father. She loses her unborn child. She loses a son. Uh, she loses the crown. I mean, it's just, it's a perfect coupling uh, for this particular episode and very sad. But who cares what I think? I want to hear what you think, as our friends over at the Joffrey of Podcasts say. Uh, they're one of my favorite podcasts. That's what they say all the time. I'll say I care what I think, but I don't expect you to care too much about what I think. I do want to hear what you have to think. And so if you'll send me your three words or your brothel mates or your thoughts about this episode, I would love it. Please tweet to at the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod on Twitter. You can send emails to Matt's audio blog at gmail.com. That's M A T T S audio blog all strung together at gmail.com. You can leave comments on our website posts or use the contact form at mattsaudioblog.com, M-A-T-T-S audioblog.com, or you can leave comments on our YouTube videos. We would love it if you would subscribe, if you would like our videos, if you would uh, leave comments on our videos as well, help our community continue to grow. We've grown a lot this season and we really appreciate your support we appreciate you listening we appreciate you watching however you're getting our content 
at any rate, if you'll join our YouTube channel or at least leave a comment, you just want to comment in that way or stop by and, and watch a video or whatever, the way that you find is, is to search for the word before the dragon podcast. We'd really appreciate reviews as well on podcast apps that allow you to leave written reviews, especially stars are great. We love stars. If you want to just leave stars, that's fine. And be honest. I mean, don't give us five stars just because I asked you to leave stars. Give five stars. If you feel like the podcast has earned it, give four. If you feel like that, that's all we've earned. Uh, expand upon that in a written review because written reviews help kickstart an algorithm that I really don't understand. Subscribing helps kickstart an algorithm that I don't really understand. I don't know anything about algorithms. All I know is that after I asked you people to start doing this stuff last week, uh, we jumped up in, in the visibility quite a bit and we want to see our community to grow uh, as the next season is coming, which my gosh, We'll talk more about this in the later week podcast with the panel, of course. But now we're going to have to wait till probably 2024 before we get any more House of the Dragon. Um, they ended it well, a very good emotional cliffhanger. Uh, but waiting around that long is going to be tough. Let me know what you think about that, too. Uh, you've already got my contact information, and I have already rambled way too much. So we will talk to you later this week with the panel. Take care.